This hour sponsored by Addo, the power behind the storage. is NAB Show Live. Hello and welcome to NAB Show Live, uh, powered by Broadcast Beat. So uh, for this session, we're going to be talking all about sports. So I've got three guests with me. So I've got Jay from Supernor, Andy from BT Sport and Ken from Sports Video. Um, so I think the first question really is, what are you seeing that's new for sports in 2019 and especially for the big year of 2020? Mm. <laughs> Who's first? <laughs> uh, well, you know, 20, we've been obviously at SVG, we go track out all the events and do a lot of uh, traveling around, seeing what people are doing from a production standpoint. Uh, you know, I, I think that for me, the, big, the biggest thing I've seen this year, which was interesting, was CBS of the Super Bowl used yeah. 8K, deployed 8K within a super zoom, I guess, is that the right word? Yeah. Super zoom extraction uh, mode. They didn't get to use it in the game because the game was so terrible. But, and, <laughs> but what was interesting was the week before, in the championship game, there was a play where they actually could have used that. They had a 4K camera, but when they zoomed in, they were, I think their resolution was around 700 you know, lines, so it, wasn't, it was definitely not HD. Yeah. So I think they proved the case for why you need 8K, so I'm, 8K, so I'm curious to see how 8K will have a role within sports yeah. productions. But I mean, look, the shows are getting bigger, as you know. Um, they're getting more robust. The OTT stuff, platforms are getting more content, original content. Yeah. So those are some of the big trends. But you know, more is better with the sports. Yeah. Jay, what are you seeing? Well, I think one of the things we want to talk about also is you know, where we're seeing a lot of uh, move towards you know, remote production and more centralization yeah. of, of, of management of the overall uh, infrastructure. And I think. Um, you know, the, the FIBA World Cup that's going to be in China this summer is an interesting example of that where you're having a lot more vertical integration because you have a sort of top-down control, you know, by the, uh, by the Federation itself and also in a very, you know, sort of difficult environment from an infrastructure standpoint. I mean, China's a very modern country, but um, it has its own challenges in terms of, uh, you know, getting signals here and there with some uh, clarity and certainty. So I think that's one of the things that will be very interesting to see how that goes. Yeah. Andy? I think it's <clears throat> some of the stuff that's been mentioned. We're going to see things like HDR really become mature. Yeah. Uh, HDR Live, there's been lots of HDR posts for a long time, and it's great, but HDR Live is much more complicated, as we've seen. But I think we'll start to see it reach maturity this year and into next year of the Olympics and things. Yeah. We've already announced that at some point in the next year we will launch an HDR proposition, so we're working hard on that. Right. I think uh, cloud has been bubbling away for a while, and mm -hmm. I think I think we'll get to the point probably in the next 18 months where proper, some form of proper cloud-based production is now possible. And there are, there are proof concept products from a number of vendors here sort of showing it. They're still a little bit early, missing some of the right. features that are needed, but I think we'll start to see that ramp up as they increase the tool sets yeah. to become really valuable rather than just a bit of, a, yeah, a bit of an interesting yeah. idea. Yeah. So when you've been wandering under the floor, the show floor, I know that HDR has been very complicated and complex the last couple of years. Are you yeah. feeling that the are the live solutions becoming more holistic and easier on the floor? Or is it still a little complicated as far as the formats, the flavors? It's still complicated. I think the, the ecosystem we've designed as an industry is not great. We've come up with a variety of different formats. And truthfully, it's going to be difficult to interop, actually, because 
different people in different sports organisations, different territories are going to do different things, which is going to be a headache for the likes of OBS and the Olympics and, right. um, and so on and so forth. Um, and truthfully, generating really good HDR with really good SDR with a single production workflow is really hard. But we have to do that to make it commercially viable, and we will do it. And we've been working really, really hard. Did a big broadcast the other day, uh, FA Cup quarter-final game at Watford, where we did exactly that, HR-centric production with all the things we have to have, 22 cameras, VAR integration, Piero analysis, HDR replays, graphic, the works. So you can, it's doable, but it's, it is still technically very complicated and needs a lot of expertise to make sure it doesn't go wrong. And that's the problem. The danger is that it's, you can make it, if you're not careful, things can go wrong. Right. But I think that will come easier. There's more product coming. I think we'll start to share some knowledge. Um, that'll help as well. But I think the interrupt is probably the challenge with different people having different philosophies, because I see now different people doing very different things in different territories, which makes it very hard to, to content share. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Jay, you spoke about remote production. I mean, you know, what, what are you seeing as the benefits of that? Well, I think it's, it's uh, you know, most people are looking at it from a sort of economic standpoint, but I think the, the real drivers here are about quality control and consistency. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the overall complexity of, you know, on-site productions. Um, you know, as I came into this industry three years ago, I'm, I'm continually shocked at the, the amount of inefficiencies and in what I'll call wastage uh, in a very expensive environment. Yeah. And, you know, the, the concerns over the, the risks of anything going wrong, which of course is a major impediment to, you know, migrating in the cloud and things like that. But ultimately, um, you know, you can start to have a better controlled environment. You can have operators that are more uh, experienced because they can do you know, three or four games in a week instead of one or two. Um, you, might you might end up with uh, you know, people with lower divorce rates because they're not traveling all the time. There might be an period, by the way, with higher home. divorce rates. Oh, yeah, right. People come home and find out uh, a few things they didn't mean to. <laughs> Wait, there are a lot of people who I have heard divorce rates will go up if they have to be home. I have honestly heard that from the team. But, uh, so we, I mean, I think for us, we've done a lot of work on remote. And I mean, there's a lot of people who are more advanced than us, but we've, we think there's like three tiers of remote, depending on the type of content yeah. we're making and the type of uh, sport or the league. And so we've had three, we've kind of developed three tiers. One is like kind of entry level, based around um, cellular bonded technology, four or five camera events. Right. But you kind of cap out in the 4G world uh, at about four or five cameras and run out of bandwidth. But it's mm -hmm. great for smaller events where you haven't got to have loads of cameras. Then we have this middle tier football kind of model, which we're using 4K, satellite technology for actually. So we put up a pair of satellite uh, paths in 4K. Mm -hmm. right. We use the quadrants to yeah. bring back four separate 1080p 50 signals. We put camera one on both in case we lose one. And then we also complement that with for the mobile viewpoint or some, some cellular bonded things on cameras that don't need to be synchronous. So for example, net cams and the goals don't need to be synchronous, they're a replay only. So we can get about nine or 10 cameras. And that's a really, actually a really comprehensive uh, production, and then we can move on to the full kind of fiber integrated yeah. high end, which starts to unlock 4K and other things if we want to do that. But for us, just to go back to the point about benefits, I think there's, we see five things. Actually, when you start to untether, if you, if you use the mobile model of 4G or satellite with RF, you can start to really rethink some of the editorial, so you can unlock things that never happened before. So for example, on uh, when we did a, a 5G, a 4G game on um, National League, which is a, a lower tier event in the UK, you could do things like send a camera, a cellular bonded camera, 
off to meet the team bus or the visiting team, jump on the bus at a service station and ride in live. You yeah. would never do that in a traditional OB. You wouldn't have those kind of shots. You'd get yeah. them arriving in the, off the bus, but that's it. Right. So you can chat but with the coach on the journey and you can... <laughs> so it gives you a completely different insight. And if you rethink how that all works, you can, you know, to put out traditional RF coverage requires a, a massive array of antennas around a stadium. But we did a one shot from the coach walking down off the coach through to the front door, down the dressing rooms, out onto the pitch through the tunnel. One, you know, and you just couldn't do that traditionally, all for very low cost. And are you um, having, I mean, are your, start, are the, your teams, are they able to think about that? Are they creative so that they're... Yeah, when they're they start thinking, to see it, it's, it's really interesting. So we, we started it. off kind of trying to do what we already do, and then they realised that actually this is quite interesting. We can unlock some really interesting ideas. Yeah. And that's why we had these kind of, and I'm sure there'll be more. We've had, we've had those ideas, but once we reproduction really get into it, they're the creative guys, they'll think of some more. I mean, that, that's a good point, because if all you do is take the, the current fairly rigid system and say, oh, fine, we're going we're gonna, to move it all centralised, you miss the benefit of people being able to innovate right, exactly. and try different things right. and, and because they can now right. in a more flexible manner. So it's, it, isn't just, it shouldn't be just cost savings. It no, should right. be other things yeah. as well because things well, we, we can't do before. We, we actually think, in our list of five things that are interesting about remote production, uh, save, you know, cost savings is the last one, right? Yeah. If you're trying to do it to save money, you're not actually doing it for the right reason. There is some, there is some commercial advantage if you get it right, but that's really about cost transformation, not cost saving. Right initiative to allow us to think about how we reuse that money for other things, maybe bring in some more rights, yeah. give us more hours. For us, it's more about, you know, it's about the editorial rethinking. It's about work-life balance for staff, which I know we just talked about, but actually, <laughs> I can give you examples of staff who, to go on a, to go on a Sunday 12.30 game in, London, in the UK, in the Women's Super League, would have to go on a Saturday, that's an overnight stay from home. It's two days of them, their time away. We yeah. lose them for two days out of their working roster, where they can come in at lunchtime, do the game, be home for tea yeah. with the children. Yeah. So, and then the other thing is about um, accessibility. OB trucks are not accessible places, right? So it doesn't, it's generally, no. doesn't really allow for great inclusion. Yeah. But actually, studios are all designed you know, for full, full width, you know, wheelchair access, et cetera, et cetera. So actually, it's a much more inclusive workplace when you work remote in a facility Absolutely. than an OB truck. Yeah. Um, so there are other really interesting benefits. Um, and Andy, I know you've spoken about 5G a lot before. So what's going to happen? <laughs> well, we think 5G is really exciting. So I mentioned a minute ago about the cap, and we think in a typical stadium in the UK, four or five cameras kind of maxes out. Yeah. Um, it depends on the venue, obviously, and the number of people and everything else. But the good thing about 5G is it has a really important two new characteristics, low latency, and actually it's not really about higher bandwidth, it's about manageable bandwidth. So there's a technology uh, piece in the stack of 5G, which is called slicing, where we can actually carve off dedicated bandwidth. At the minute with 4G, it's, it's just best endeavors. Everyone's sharing the mm -hmm. same pool. Um, and so if everyone turns up and starts streaming or using Twitter or whatever, it's everyone's consuming. With Slicer, we can guarantee some space and you can order it you know, by, by data rate, you know, bandwidth size, the time you want it, it can be down to minutes. So it's much more accessible and it's dedicated bandwidth just for this one use case. Yeah. And so that will make a huge difference to guaranteeing uh, the uptime. It's a quality of service issue, basically. I think you're going to have to be really cautious with 5G. You know, <coughs> the, the hype that was around you know, 3G when it came out, then 4G, has generally never been realized, both in terms of you know, um, coverage. Um, so if you're trying to use the, the public network, now if you're using private 5G you know, with a stadium environment, that's quite good for you know, transport and things like that. Um, and it doesn't actually have very high bandwidth, but depending on which of the flavor you're using, whether the high sort of super millimeter or uh, you know, lower 600 right. hertz, it doesn't have very good penetration capabilities. So you know, uh, the high millimeter one won't go through a piece of paper. So it has to be very line of sight. Yeah. And someone's going to have to convince me on what happens in severe weather conditions with, with rain and sleet, for example. There's been lots of examples in, in other kinds of wireless technologies where that could be a, a, a bit 
concerning. So I think you're going to have to be very cautious on how you use it and get some real experience with it. It's taking you into a sector uh, of telecommunications probably that there's a lot less experience with. Um, and you know, I think you can open up a lot of creativity. Um, you know, jumping on the hype bandwagon too early can be a, <laughs> yeah. maybe live somebody, somebody lives well, through regret I, perhaps. So. I think, yeah. you know, I think it, it, it's, it gets muddled very quickly on the 5G conversation, because for example, at the NBA All-Star game, you know, the head of AT&T was talking about how, oh, we're going to deploy 5G and within three years, you're not going to have wired broadband, which is ridiculous because it's going to be so expensive to, to deploy <laughs> enough 5G to do that. But what you're talking about is not necessarily riding on those networks, right? No, so right. You know, what you guys have done and what Fox Sports did at the US Open, do you envision like the same sort of thing? You bring in a dedicated node and then so, you're in charge of your own node and you can split up cameras? Or do you no, I think it'll be, I think, I think it's different. What we're, what we're looking at, and we're lucky to have EE as part of our family of uh, within BC Group. And True. So what we're looking at is where, we, where can we strategically <laughs> align uh, cellular sites, uh, sighting to give and, then, and put more backhaul on those sites where we won't want to do remote production over 5G. And then we can enable the slicing, right. to exactly your point, to make sure we've got enough bandwidth available, but in the right places. Uh, if we just ride on the back of a consumer network, it's not going to work. But if we're right. going to put a consumer network in, we can also isolate which cells need more backhaul and put it in at the same yeah, time. A lot of site backhaul is very powerful right. um, and, and fairly easy to set up from that. And it will and be a, an automatically licensed spectrum, which will make it easier too for yeah. sort of private networks. I guess the other thing that maybe you can okay. share some insights, but what's the, what is the yeah, exactly. for these nodes? <laughs> well, it's not, we, have, we were doing, in the, in the trial, uh, we did at Wembley back in the summer, we were getting about 125 yeah. megabit, but it was, the problem we had was actually well, the whole uh, cellular space in that area, because there's so much 4G, right. there wasn't much bandwidth left to add yeah. the 5G node on, because you have to piggyback on the 4G cell to lend an uplink to the 5G. So, right, okay. so this, it's a complicated ecosystem. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're forecasting very big numbers. I'm not sure yet what the real numbers are going to be. But. Yeah, because I think Fox was pushed, because they were obviously dedicated, it was, it was their own. Yeah, so right. They were pushing through, I want to say, 650? Yeah, well the demo, um, the Huawei RAM was showing 500 plus, but that was yeah. not in a congested cell area. Yeah, yeah. Right, so this is the, this is why we have to be a little bit careful. But I still right. think, you and, know. And how much, I'm curious, how, how much of this is driven, a lot of the adoption of 4K is about marketing differentiation potentially for your viewers. Um, mm. Whether or not they actually are watching in 4K, if it's filmed in 4K, you know, can be a differentiator. You know, is 5G one of those? Is that something exciting for people or is it just, you know, vendors trying to get, um, the broadcasters excited yeah. about something. Well, from, from I'll just I'll speak for Fox. I think when you talk to Brad Cheney at Fox, his vision is the ability to roll into a stadium and not have to cable any cameras right. and just be able to kind of just go. You 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 get your node, you divide it up, you dedicate your bandwidth, right? So you're guaranteed. You're you're free of all the issues of 4G LTE where you roll in the stadium. The yep. fans come in and they fire up, and you're like got nothing left. So that's what his vision is. For yeah. And for golf courses, especially, also. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not—it's not a consumer proposition in the same way of 4K. No, no, it's an enabler. Yeah. For and that's why it gets all muddled because people. Right. But I, I would argue that the biggest enabler for that is finally agreeing a, a, a standard for uh, video over IP 2110 because that's been the biggest um, thing that's a roadblock for people's middle develop equipment. Right. And if you start to take IP and think of what you can do in other networks, um, we were talking about earlier, you know, being able to effectively plug and play, plug into a network, you know, wired or, or wireless either and having things automatically recognized and, and be able to be controlled. Um, you know, you, if you pre-wire a stadium and have enough plug-in points, you know, I'm not sure how much it matters, but um, right. you know, to be honest, so, um, 
but 5G has other great benefits because it allows you to go sort of you know multicast within a stadium. So if you have a lot of people sure. on yeah. uh, individual devices there that you want some, to be able to transmit to, there's a lot of cool things that are really yeah, going to come out of that. Experience in the yeah, yeah. 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 Sure. And what about VR? Talking of new technologies. So if you mean VR 360 or yeah. virtual reality and so on, we do a lot of both. So yeah. um, we have the, a unique uh, VR 360 player with inside our normal 2D mm -hmm. app. Um, we do a lot of Premier League and Champions League coverage. We're going to do the Champions League final again this year in Madrid. Right. Uh, nine camera live created feed, got, you know, graphics, replays, commentary, all in, all in 360. Uh, we still think there's a, a place for it. The quality is improving all the time. Tile-based uh, encoding techniques are now right. maturing. One of the problems we had with, with uh, 360 was you had to have 4K really to get the resolution. Right. It's, you need a little bandwidth, and uh, it's actually really inefficient to a point because yeah. you're only seeing you know, on time a small area of the whole 360 sphere in 4K. If we can then use tile media encoding to, to specify, to prioritise the bits you want to actually send, a bit like Google Maps, yeah. um, then it's a much more efficient way and increases the quality threshold enormously, which we think is very exciting. So do you have, do you have any insights into um, how the consumers are, do you know whether they're wearing the goggles or they're just doing no. the steering <laughs> thing? Mainly, mainly, mainly it's, uh, it's, yeah, mainly it's no goggles. Because they want to flip it out, so it's all about interactivity. So right. they're not just doing VR, they're looking at all the uh, replays and the multicam timeline, they're going back and looking at the stats and the gameplay. And right. So the problem with the putting, it in a, putting your phone into your goggles, as great an experience as that is, is it alienates you from the rest of the experiences that are going on. Right. So now it's, it's available to us, we've put these 360 clips on the replay line, on the timeline, on the bottom. So you can watch a multicam replay from a TV angle or a VR, right. or you can watch the live stream, or you can put it in the headset if you want to. Right, right. Well, plus also people don't want to put their phones no, right. in it because right. they want to be. They want to text and Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, exactly. So they want to be online. So, so do you think that the do you think the so do you think the goggles thing is ever going to be a thing? Like this whole concept of sitting for three hours? <laughs> no. With it? no. I think there'll be niche cases. We saw. It's interesting. You get a you get a big event. It will drive. It's particular people will drive a use, and it will never be a massive use, but there are, there are people, if it's a typical gamer, for example, the gaming community, right. you know is much more engaged with goggles, so if you're a PlayStation 4 Pro user with VR, you're much more likely to use that experience right. than if you're just a normal consumer. Right. Um, so it's not going to be mass market, but I think um, on a big event basis where it's really interesting content, high value content, exciting content, it will drive some usage, but on the whole, it's all about, it's all about the magic window. Right. You really have to be on the on the watch out for you know things are just kind of cool and trendy and hype you know goggles I think is a prime example of they may be you know quite effective but you know they're a stepping stone because you learn from that experience but I think one of the challenges if you start you know developing for that environment is you're cutting off the social aspect you know if you're watching something together you're experiencing it together or if you're actually in the stadium uh, in some ways well you might as well just be at home in some in some way so you know Google Glasses which was not overly successful, but as a first step, you know, tells you that if you had something that was, allows you to, you know, see the game, see something and get some augmented information or things, that kind of thing starts right. to be very interesting. And, and whether or not that sticks, um, it, you're, you're not taking away from the game, you're adding to it. Or others kind of take yeah. you out of the game in some way. So uh, personally, I'm, probably because I'm old, um, you know, I, I struggle with that. And I think right. you know, too many people have vertigo issues as well, you know, with goggles and things like right. that. It's yeah. very hard to, yeah. to watch for any length well, of time. Well, you know, I mean, here at the CES show, <laughs> there were some really, really compelling Google Glass type devices yeah. where, I hate, sorry, I didn't mean to use air quotes. But, you know, some <laughs> Google Glass devices where when you put them on, it was, you know, there'd be a whale kind of leaping out of the water and swimming in front of you like in a virtual 3D space. And it was really, I mean, it was, so you're, you're able to see through the glasses and then within the glasses, this was layered over the top of it. Yeah. 
I think, and it was a much more compelling experience than what Google Glass yeah. was. So exactly. I think that's much more augmented reality, where exactly, you're mixing yeah. virtual and, and real. Right. And to make that interesting and, and uh, compelling, in my view, you know, to really be augmented reality, it has to interact in some way with the environment, not just be some overlay that's floating out in space, right. but you know, the, the whale's over there where there's yeah. a stream, and as soon as you look over this direction, you know, mm -hmm. there's, there's something land-based. Uh, I think there's so. some really interesting things around analysis, bringing player analysis into the home for you to be involved. Right. I mean, uh, not with the glasses, but Fox in Australia did a really interesting augmented reality thing around the Bathurst race mm -hmm. two years ago where they had an app on, on the, on the um, on the coasters and the bars with a, with a QR code, and if you clicked on it and you were in the bar watching the, the Bathhouse 1000, it brought up an AR race map, and you could look around yeah. the thing and see the wall, see yeah. the, the room behind you, the pub, but you could then see all the cars. And so I think there's some interesting ideas there about bringing player analysis and things into the room with you, whether it's through glasses or otherwise. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that's going to definitely well augmented. The next big thing. So we have to wrap up. So that was a great conversation between the three of you. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Just getting started. Just warming up. Yeah, it's warming up. Yeah. So thank you very much for coming on Thanks, NAB Sadie. Show Live, uh, and have a great show. Thanks. Thank you. you too. Thank you. Thanks.
This hour sponsored by Addo, the power behind the storage. Is NAB Show Live? Hi, and welcome to NAB Show Live, uh, brought to you by Broadcast Beat. Um, and we are going to talk for the next session about AR, VR, MR. Um, we've already had a bit of a chat about this already, so I don't know who wants to go first, but we've got um, Nick here from NCAM, we've got Ash from Disguise, however, from the Future Group and Olivier from Chiron Hago. So, uh, where do you want to start? I mean, we were talking about MR or VR or AR. So, who wants to give everyone the briefest explanation of all the differences? Because everyone's very confused. <laughs> I've got a question as to, yeah, is MR the same as AR? Augmented reality we're talking about, I guess. Yeah. Is it the same? Is it a different term? I don't know. For me, it's the same. I mean, there's really. I have like um, sort of an opinion on MR and AR myself. I would say MR is when you blend reality, so you need a mix of green screen and real set and AR all together. So, so it's sort of like blending completely environments. So it's a mix of virtual set, in fact, and AR and real set together. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think you know, mixed reality and augmented reality is effectively the same thing. But we can have a you know, virtual set as a background. It's a continuation yeah. of the hard set, like blending, you know, blending, when you yeah. have that edge, mm -hmm. and then you put other objects inside as well. Yeah. So that, I think that's the closest we can get, no? Um, I, th I think there's a lot of ambiguity in the terms that people are using. I mean, uh, you know, at Disguise, we tend to use the word MR to mean where you put the content onto screens that are being shot by camera, uh, which some people call green screen replacement where you're replacing the green screen with something that you can actually see and, and, and look at, whether it's LED or projection. Uh, but I think the terms are pretty fluid, so it's, it's probably wise yeah, to yeah, be yeah. as precise as possible. And by the way, it's the same in the consumer world, I would say, with these Googles, you know, where people are confused, where you, or the HoloLens, or you will do like a Oculus, yeah. you know, what's VR, what's AR, what's mixed reality also. It's, yeah. I mean, you know, personally, AR is to me means when you put the pair of glasses on and you can right. look through the. Yeah. But in TV, it's used to mean putting graphics on top. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. I think graphics yeah. or immerse people into a, a virtuality. Yeah. And so, right. why would you use AR over sort of standard graphics in broadcast? I, I think AR presents a whole plethora of new opportunities to enhance the storytelling. It yeah. Enables you to do things that you wouldn't otherwise perhaps afford to do or choose to do because it didn't, it didn't, really, um, it didn't really make sense. I think also what it does, and this is, this is perhaps a little bit down the line, but I think you know, the push for virtual production technology, including AR and virtual studio technology, is really, it's really a push towards new ways of monetizing content. New, monet new ways of engaging the audience is, is fine. Uh, creating a higher production value is fine, um, and but I do think eventually this will have to lead to a discussion of yeah. how do you leverage these technologies to essentially drive monetization in new ways. But in terms of t today and the, you know the, the applications, uh, are, there are no, numerous. But as a virtual set, it has to be really useful 
to be able to not build a physical set or build a small part of a physical set because I think, mm. although that's been around for a long time, um, has the quality been high enough to actually look like a real set? Has the quality been high enough? I, I'm not sure if it has. I think now, uh, I, th I think we're there. I think we're getting there and I think it's easier to do. It's, it's accessible, right? Yeah. And the quality, the robustness, that's all accessible and doable. And I think, you know, with our technologies together, um, you know, our customers can deliver that within, you know, it, it's fairly, fairly easy to, to do. And in what situations does it work best? I mean, we were doing earlier a panel about sports and we were talking about it. I Is think it... When, you, when you need to uh, visualize data, it works yeah. really well. Mm. Because it's, it's, it's a compelling way to tell the story and illustrate the data inside the studio set, you know. Yeah. Um, I think gaming, for example, uh, entertainment, esports, um, you know, whether you know, because you explain phenomenon and you can really interact with the phenomenon. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys done a fantastic job, by the way. Thank you. Uh, we compete, but we, we, we recognize when you guys do a great job. Mm. Uh, what was the fantastic uh, job for? Uh, it was the weather channel. The weather yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. really immersing into like a storm yeah. where you tell the story of the storm and the, and the, the people are right in between mm. what's, what's going on, you know? Yeah, the weather channel stuff was great. I think it was quite groundbreaking. We, we've been working with those guys for years on, on how to, mm. to help that from a camera tracking perspective. And I think it serves as a very good example of, of you know, the enhancement of the, the, the storytelling um, because uh, essentially, you know, in a situation like, for instance, the storm surge, um, you know, you can show color codes on a map. You can uh, you can uh, look at um, you know you can look outside and, and you know you'll see the trees blowing. But actually, having the audience understand the consequences, and when you flood a street uh, like the Weather Channel did, when you can see that literally there is no no room for air in your house anymore, uh, it just becomes very real. Uh, even yeah. though, you know, in that particular execution, it was still very clear that it was a simulation. We all know water can't stand upright. Um, so, so, but it still creates that tangible feeling of what this might look like in, in my neighborhood. Um, and so I think, I think that's a very good example of where Virtual Studio yeah. really truly comes to sort of its, its natural right. Um, um, and it's just, you know, one of very, you know, I believe, many, many examples of how you could use this. And I would actually re reverse the question you asked, you know, where, in what situations does a virtual studio work? I would, I think where we are is rather to flip it around and say, in what situation doesn't it work? Yeah. Because I think, as you said, mm -hmm. with the quality increasing, uh, you know, talent becoming more used to being on green screen, um, people, you know, being able to utilize the, the, uh, the tools that are out there to, to create these experiences. I think, you know, there's the, the examples of where you wouldn't use it are becoming fewer and farther between. I, I think it also resonates to uh, audience changing as well as age, you know. Well, I remember having conversation with Sky in Australia in the past 15 years ago when I had my own company selling virtual and telling them, like, look, at some point the audience age will change and you know what you think would be a reproduction of your heart set that you need to mimic yeah. people won't care they will want to have some action and it does look good that's all that matters you know i think there's there's a there's some practical benefits as well i mean um it looks quite prosaic but the idea that you could have a very small studio that can actually look like a, a large studio 
and can take on multiple functions. So it could be a news feed yeah. one minute, it could be uh, you know, an out, a broadcast station another time. Uh, that sort of practical benefit of not having to have physical set mm. items, uh, I think is, is, is underrepresented a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and how do you think AR will evolve in the future? I mean, what's next? AR for the broadcast space? Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to see more and more of it. Uh, I, think, uh, I think the work that, uh, that uh, we collectively did for, uh, for CBS for the Super Bowl uh, yeah. is a good example. Essentially adding a full stadium size AR graphic uh, to do something really cool, yeah. you know, break, break the whole um, sort of field apart and, and do something, something more. I think it shows, it's a very good example of, of how you can apply this to, to, uh, to really huge events uh, and, and at huge scale. And, and um, uh, so I think, you know, it'll just, you know, we like to say on our booth, in our demo, we say, you know, fi finally your imagination is the only limitation. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, that's very true. Mm -hmm. uh, I think. Yeah. And I think, the yeah, it's, the, it's all about the quality and the, the believability, right? So if we can merge those two worlds, the virtual and the real, so that the, the viewer just simply cannot tell the difference, mm -hmm. that's one step and we, we're getting there, but it's the interactivity as well. So how, how do I interact with something that is not there? Hmm. Can I walk around it? Is there depth? Can I, can I interact with it? What yes. else can I do? I'm, I'm, I I'm not sure if I agree that realism is kind of the be-all and end-all. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone looking at spinning logos on TV thinks that they're... No, that's different. They get that they're, you know, they get that they're, they're, mm -hmm. they're yeah. synthetic. Mm. Um, I think it's more to do with engaging people. It doesn't have to look realistic to be engaging. Yeah. It just oh. has to be fun. Yeah. yeah. And it has it, to look it has, good. It has to communicate clearly yeah. like what you're trying to communicate. And uh, okay. I think the improvement in, in our systems on technology would be more on the workflow side, you know, because we have been tedious system to use sometimes. And we are improving that a lot by using common tools like Unreal that we all use, mm -hmm. uh, by using like common framework that we are trying to all converge to in the same way. Uh, and for broadcasters to use common tools in order to operate, change, and fulfill. Uh, so that thing is evolving as well in terms of the usability uh, in the right sense. Uh, and I, what I could see in the future is that, you know, all the machine that we bring to do that, that is still a bit, you know, tedious, we, we'll go back into a cloud server as well. You know, we'll do everything remote where we'll get the, the tracking data from NCAM, uh, we'll put our engine into a cloud server and say, how many cameras you have and how many insertion you want, I can do that for you. Mm. Uh, you don't have to hire a crew for doing that, you know. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting to think that you, know, you, might, you might be able to spin up more instances of your renderer if your graphics are very high demand and then exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, if, if you're doing something quite simple, you would only have a couple of machines online. Um, yeah. And the idea that, that uh, a studio might have, you know, multiple studio spaces that can share resources. Correct. Uh, quite you know, an interesting so idea. It's a, the, one of the things that I think you guys have noticed is that we always have like a channel of box per camera. And, and if we go there, it will disappear. Mm. We will be able to scale much more the use of it. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. So with mixed reality, I'm looking at you, Ash. <laughs> <laughs> You know, what, what does it offer that VR doesn't offer? Um, I think the, the problem with VR is that there's only one person that can see it, which is the person who's yeah. got the thing on their head. And, and uh, uh, you know, with green screen, the issue that you have is that you can only see what's happening if you look at the confidence monitor. Yeah. 
which means that if you're a professional and you know how to do that, then you're comfortable on set. But if you're a member of the public, say, coming in to be interviewed, yeah. it's, it's much more difficult to understand how to behave on that set. Whereas if you have a set around you that's visible, mm. that you can look at, that lights you correctly, uh, it's much easier to be natural and to feel comfortable in that environment. Everybody who's in the audience, if you have an audience, so not all TV studios have no audience. There are sometimes people watching it. Yeah. And you, if you have to produce a show for them too, then it's better to have something actually to look at rather than just green screen. Uh, then the, the, the other few things like, you know, if you, let's say you're holding a Macintosh laptop on your, on your lap, um, that's going to reflect mm. the green from the green screen. Yeah. Um, having that not something that you have to remove and post uh, is actually a big advantage. Um, so there's a, there's, a, there's a few benefits to, to kind of post-green screen or green screen replacement. And, it, and, th and that, I think, the, the making it more engaging, I think, is the end result. Yeah. And do you think people would use VR would be more popular if it wasn't for the headsets? Is it back to the oh, 3D yeah. glasses? I don't, I don't believe in that myself at all. I think, I think you know, the technology will get better. It'll always have a place. But it, at the end of the day, people do want to connect with each other. Yeah, in, there's in a space. problem of uh, heavy uh, lifting. Yeah. I mean, I have tons of this, this headset at home. And even my kids who love technology, they code doing blocks and stuff. They, they cannot wear them more than, like I would say, you know, the, an hour maximum. The, AR, the new AR glasses are pretty cool. This is the, the Magic Leaf stuff, the HoloLens 2 stuff is pretty The HoloLens pretty good. Could be, The new one's pretty good. It's, uh, I think it's pretty impressive. Could be HoloLens, but you know, still, like we had that, that hype with the 3D stereoscopy altogether here. Yeah. yeah. And, and, the, and the glasses were thin, you know? Yeah. And these people didn't want to wear them at home. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the technology will get better. I don't yeah, think they'll ever completely take over. Absolutely. Um, mm. Yeah, think of the iPhone 1, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, it didn't even have copy and paste. <laughs> True. What, what we could see is maybe like a lens, contact lens. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Connected all, all of these things lens will that happen. can distort yeah, yeah. reality. Yeah. That would work. I know? think also what you're saying, though, is, is, is a lot of people are aware of AR because Apple delivered it on their phones and yeah. Google delivered it on their phones. So they sort of right. expect to see it. If you don't have it, then yeah. you're sort of you're behind. Not you? So it's, it's almost yeah. becoming a hygiene thing that everyone has to do, whether they like it or not. Yeah. And are you saying that people are going to ha they're having to produce the content differently? Yes. Mm. yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, and that's not a small one for a very small audience, you know. Yeah. So you're a big investment, big pain yes. for a very small audience who won't spend that much time. I, mean. I think that's a really important point about the content. There's just, yeah. There just isn't enough people producing live content yeah. that are able to, you know, we're seeing Unreal come through um, and, and, you know, games engines. Uh, being able to create that content without that, where there's not much point in being around for me. Uh, you know, that, that's absolutely massively important and something that yeah. maybe we don't talk enough about is, you know, how, how are we going to get enough people to create the content? No, exactly. I did, this, is, this is, you know, uh, an early project that we did was, uh, was an interactive game show that we did together with, with Fremantle Media. Uh, this is a few years ago now, uh, but it, it ties very well into the content discussion because if, you're, if you design uh, an entertainment experience to work across multiple screens or work with AR goggles or work with VR, then you can't just make a show and then just copy paste that over to the second screen. You need to think about how is this, how is this all going to tie together? How are we going to make sure that we don't alienate our traditional audience on the single screen uh, while still enhancing the experience for the audience that choose to yeah. engage on multiple screens or through other types of devices? This is critical. 
and, and you know, this will involve a lot of trial and error. Uh, we were super encouraged when we, when we did launch Lost in Time to see that, in fact, one-third of our TV viewing audience did engage interactively. We did not expect to see that number that high. Um, uh, but it's still, it's still, you know, it was by no means perfect. Yeah. Uh, it was a first stab at trying to do something, you know, in a new way. Um, but I think if we really engage in this, if we, you know, this is what, you know, virtual production at large, it lends itself very well to this. Mm -hmm. We just need to experiment. We need to figure out how to do this. Um, you could do 360 degrees much more easy with using virtual technologies, yeah. you know, because yeah. you render all those, these virtual cameras where these guys have to actually shoot them, mm. you know. But, you know, yeah. myself and the Google stuff, uh, you know, I don't... And I've tried, you know. <laughs> and are those skill sets coming from the gaming industry? You've, yeah. Is I that mean, where we're going to attract everyone from? I think, I think what we're seeing is, you know, visual effects companies, the digital content post-production yeah. companies, starting to use real-time yeah. uh, engines and real-time you know, capabilities. Um, we're certainly seeing that uh, from the likes of you know, The Mill or Moving mm. Picture Company, uh, Technicolor, you know, they're, they're all training up on this. And all of those very high-end visual effects companies, certainly, and then there's that convergence between you know, film, TV, and, and broadcast that we're seeing yeah. games. That, that's, that's what we're seeing, right? So what do you think's next? Hang on, we've Crystal already ball. started on this. Crystal ball. We've already just started. I think we already discussed <laughs> that. Just started. Yeah. Already. I mean, I, I, really, I think that this stuff is going to become part of the natural language of, of television. Yeah. You'll see yeah. it everywhere. Just as we're used to seeing, you know, uh, two-dimensional graphical elements in the background yeah. of every show now. Everything has to be moving constantly, otherwise it feels dead, it feels flat. Mm. I think we're going to start to expect this to be in every show. Mm. Um, and I think that's yeah. going to become the interesting part, because to, to be original and to be different is going to become the challenge. The, the, the limit is the imagination, right? right. Yeah. And I, you know, I think one of the really interesting trends that, that I see is, you know, we used to talk about very defined categories in the entertainment space. We used to talk about game companies, and we used to talk about broadcasters, and we used to talk about movie production. Uh, you know, take um, DJ Marshmallow's appearance inside Fortnite. You know, so so what does that make Fortnite? Yeah. Is it still just a merging? Game? Uh, yeah, it something converging. Else? Exactly, and this is this is I think super exciting. It's one of those things that you know it's difficult to tell. You know, like you said, what's next? Yeah. Um, but it's you know we will just keep moving and keep breaking down those boundaries, and you know, it's yeah. super Def exciting. Definitely, definitely, an interesting thing that we noticed was now that you can broadcast to a very specific audience over the internet, you can find huge right. audiences for very niche things. You know, uh, like eSports is a really good example. You can find, you know, 300 million viewers, double the Super Bowl's mm. viewership for, you know, a championship for, of, of an eSports tournament. Yeah. Um, and, and so, therefore, the kind of creative opportunities you have mm. uh, become quite interesting because you don't have to please a large group of people. You can do something very focused yeah. that still hits a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, and I think fan, fan engagement, audience engagement, is what it's all about, right? right. So. So the, the younger audiences coming through, they don't necessarily want to sit there and watch a physical motor race for, you know, the cars going round and round. <laughs> kind of gets tedious. Um, so if we can make that more interactive and maybe they can join in on their own car virtually, yeah. you know, from, from their home, put, put, that's pulling, great. Pulling, playing, playing and pulling 
yeah. is stuff yeah. that and, and AR can serve that exactly. really Absolutely. well because you can actually visualize data in the studio mm. while you're pulling, you know. So this kind of stuff is going to happen more and more. Yeah. Um, what else we could think of? Um, collecting data and creating environment depending on what we know about people. You know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, sort of customize content, create the virtual world that mm -hmm. corresponds to, you know, the viewership basically, based on what the, what we know when we uh, talk to them. You know, I mean, just, sim just simply presenting things in the language of the, that the viewer understands, yeah. you know, is going to be. I think customized content is is definitely coming. Um, you know, it's it's still it still requires you know the, to find that interface, to find that data collection method. Uh, and to make it valuable to the audience, because that's what it comes down to. You know, it, it can't be gimmicky. It, that, that's cool for a little while, and it's cool to show your friends, but, but in order to really drive engagement, uh, it needs to make sense. And you know, it's a whole new way of thinking about content production. Yeah. Right, well, that was a great discussion. Thank you very much uh, um, for NAB Show Live. This hour sponsored by Addo, the power behind the storage.